What you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. That is a quote by Zig Ziglar. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 82. I would like to remind you to tune in every Friday at 5 p.m. Central Time to my Facebook live show called Talk to Trina, where I share tips, tools, and trends in technology to help you stay connected with your clients who are remote. The topic of this week's episode is it's not where you start that matters. My guest this week is Roman Prokopchuk. Roman is a first-generation immigrant from the Ukraine that came to the United States when he was five with six other family members who lived in a two-bedroom apartment. From an internship with the Secret Service to getting into digital marketing out of necessity during the 2008 recession, Roman has done what was needed to position himself to succeed. He founded Nova Zora Digital in 2012 and has 11 years of digital marketing experience on over 600 campaigns, including Fortune 500 companies. Roman is the host of the Digital Savage Experience podcast and a foster parent, which he has had 20 kids in his home since June of 2018. Hi, Roman. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Okay. So before we get into your story, give me a little background on who you are and how you come to be the person you are today. Sure. So I'm a first-generation immigrant from Ukraine. I came to the United States in 1990 when I was five with six other family members. Ukraine was still under the Soviet Union. So we had to go through Vienna, Austria, and Rome, Italy to get here. We had basically sponsors, which were uh, distant family members. So when we came, we came to a two-bedroom apartment. My grandparents were already retired in Ukraine and then had to kind of go back to work here. And everybody had to kind of pitch in and contribute because we basically came with no money in our pocket, not knowing the language. And uh, my grandfather did construction for about 20 years. My dad started his own business and had uh, several other businesses And me personally, I graduated Rutgers University with a degree in criminal justice and was uh, in the Secret Service as an intern before uh, the recession hit in 2007, 2008. I was on the counterfeit currency squad. I thought I was going to go into law enforcement. And then the economy crashed. So state, local and federal agencies froze uh, hiring and spending. And basically, I spent months applying, which obviously didn't get me anywhere. I was kind of down and depressed. The only thing I really did was kind of go to the gym to kind of release that stress and kind of clear my mind. So I met someone there and they saw my situation. And they basically said, at the end of one of my workouts, come out to my car after your workout and I'm going you know, to give you something. Maybe it'll help you out. 
So I, obviously it's a little sketchy. But uh, I walked out and basically they opened their trunk and handed me a packet. And it was about search engine optimization. They said basically read this, take a month or two, go online, uh, read up some more, and you can do it for my company. I have a need. So I kind of, that's where I got my start in uh, digital marketing. I did that for a few months for them and then got picked up by a company called LexisNexis. I was there working on uh, legal uh, clients, small, medium, and large size law firms across the country. And uh, when I left there, I had kind of the elite clients, which is six figure and higher spends for each client and uh, was a you know senior level strategist specialist. And then after which I was at other agencies and I held a director role in each agency, account director, director of digital services and solutions. And in 2012, I started my own agency and I've had that ever since. And about two, two and a half years ago, I also started my podcast, which was kind of a passion project. I always wanted to do it, but never thought I had the time or kind of the expertise and kind of just ran with it. And then kind of in terms of my personal life, me and my wife, our foster parents. So we've fostered uh, 20 kids since June 2018. That kind of keeps me, you know, level-headed and uh, humble, and it's a learning experience with each child. Wow. <laughs> I'm just taking notes of things to ask. So first of all, um, I'm very familiar with LexisNexis, so um, I, I get questions for, the, for you for that. But so your family came from Ukraine in 1990. So how old were you then? Five. So it's actually this March was 30 years being in the United States. Okay. So what, what, was, what made your family do that? Because you said your grandparents had already retired. Um, was it um, the, the atmosphere in the country? Was it something that they always wanted to do? Or just, they just said, hey, you know, this is kind of a life or death situation. So we need to get out and move and go somewhere else. That's when the kind of Soviet Union started lessening, lessening up uh, being able to immigrate out. It was uh, two years before Ukraine gained its independence. So Soviet bloc countries started kind of, you know, uh, the, 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 the drive for kind of independence and, you know, the Berlin Wall fell and things of that nature. So the, the climate there, I still remember, I mean, it wasn't favorable. So people think it's kind of tough here. I mean, we left one reason was religious persecution. So if you went to church, you basically, they stripped you of things. So my mom basically was valedictorian. She got stripped of that because she went to church. Um, you know, other family members, you know, were taken to kind of Siberia to uh, work, work camps and kind of um, basically you get worked to death because it's, it's so hard. Um, and, you know, there was KGB and people disappeared and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, here, I guess with the coronavirus, people have to wait a little bit. I mean, I remember waiting in like bread lines for a few hours with my mom. So it's a different climate. I mean, it made me who I am in terms of kind of grit and, and not taking things for advantage in terms of being in the U.S. And we basically came there. One reason was because uh, religious persecution and then the, the opportunity arose itself when we got a um, basically a visa to leave. So we took that opportunity and, you know, never really looked back. I've been back twice. But other than that, I mean, it's still uh, one of the most corrupt countries in terms of uh, the government. So, you know, starting a business is hard. So 
you start a business and you have competitors, if those competitors pay off the government, they can basically push you out. You know, the government can fine you. So it, there's a bunch of shady stuff. So the the system in which to kind of flourish as an entrepreneur or start a business, it's, uh, it's really hard. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, so you are no stranger to hard work. You know what it is to put in the grind and the hustle, um, which I, I always admire that about people who come to this country because you put in the hard work and you have people that are born right here and they're kind of like they expect things to be given to them. Um, and it's just always amazing. It's funny because I look at that in my children like I'm I was born and raised in Chicago by a single mother, didn't have much. And my children are basically children of privilege. And, I, you know, I I kind of it's my fault. Right. Because I was like, oh, I, I wanted my kids to have better. So now it's kind of like they're kind of little snobs and going, you know, you don't have any idea what hard work is. So I, I really admire that in you. So you got here, you did the work, you went to Rutgers, you got your degree. And <laughs> tell me about when the guy comes up to you and he's like, hey, come to my car. And, you know, what were you thinking when you, you know, followed this guy out to the car? What, you know, what were you thinking was going to happen? Or were you like bracing yourself? Like, okay, if this guy tries something, I'm, I'm ready to fight. What, what was going through your head? No, we, we've had conversations before and he was, you know, a friendly, friendly guy. Um, you know, we worked out together prior. We weren't necessarily like friends, friends, but acquaintances, one of the people you see somewhere, you know, at the gym or other places that you frequent. And it's one of those, you know, short conversations high by. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I didn't really know what direction that conversation was going to go or what was going to transpire. But, um, you know, I could have said no, I guess. But at that time, I, I really didn't have a choice. So I did it out of necessity. I knew the economic climate wasn't necessarily getting that much better anytime soon in terms of hiring within uh, the criminal justice field. So I basically said, you know, I really don't have anything to lose because I'm learning something new. At that time, I didn't know how much in demand the field was. And it's given me a lot of flexibility. I mean, I've had, you know, Fortune 500 clients, I've had, you know, different experiences in terms of projects. I've you know, been working remote for the last three and a half years and going to different places and having internet connection and taking calls and getting work done while I'm, you know, doing things that I enjoy in my pastime. So it's really opened up a lot of freedom and just kind of situational freedom because different parts of your life, you may be looking for something different in terms of employment, starting a business. And right now in terms of being a foster parent and having to be close to home because the kids have court dates Uh, nurses visits, caseworker. So it actually fits my lifestyle and actually, you know, fits well with everything else going on around me. Yeah. I mean, that's great that you've actually built your life to be so fulfilling to you and and advantage, uh, advantageous to you in in this situation. So when, when you were approached and he said, read this book, did you have any idea before then what digital marketing was? Were you interested in that at all? No, I mean, I wasn't necessarily, I mean, I knew how to use a computer and internet and things like that, but I wasn't necessarily tech savvy or or care to really learn. But I mean, it forced me to learn and I kind of fell in love with it. And then I learned kind of like basic code in terms of HTML and CSS in terms of how websites function. And then when social media started coming along, figuring out in terms of 
social media marketing, you know, organic and paid, paid search. Con so I kind of spread out in terms of my um, my expertise, but still my core was search engine optimization. And I think when someone is learning something in digital marketing or anything else in terms of an expertise, they should really find what that pillar is that excites them and then at least be uh, know a little bit about the things that are connected to that, but not necessarily be an expert, you know, be an expert in that one thing and then understand how things are around it, the ecosystem around it works. So you took that experience of reading this book, being intrigued, learning more, and then you went back to this gentleman and said, okay, I read this book and he made you an, a job offer. Is that correct? Yeah, basically. I mean, I took it upon myself. So, you know, I audited kind of what they've been doing in terms of marketing efforts. I did an audit on their website, you know, presented the information and then kind of took it from there. I mean, I only really worked for them for a few months because they kind of run out of funds in terms of uh, that role. And they, you know, basically made it clear, you know, you can put your resume out and if, you know, you get approached, you know, we're more than happy for you to, you know, find something else based on knowing my situation as well. And that's kind of what transpired. Hmm. So from there, you just kept building, you kept honing your skills and, and then you decided to start your own agency? Yep. So, I mean, I started, it's one of those things. So I think someone doesn't have to do something the way somebody else does it. So you have a lot of people that come on, you know, you have to burn the ships and, you know, burn everything and, and be desperate and out of desperation, create something because you have no other choice, but that doesn't necessarily have to be your route. So, I mean, I was building my company as I was still working for someone else. So that's that kind of uh, side hustle economy that a lot of people uh, do. So a lot of people kind of have a side hustle and stay with that side hustle and still work for somebody else. And that's fine. And then some people turn that side hustle into a, you know, full time business or company. And that's also fine. It's just the way you do it as long as you take action and actually do it. I agree. And, and I've been in that shoe as well, where I had a side hustle, but a nine to five and putting in the, you know, bending, burning the candle at both ends, making sure that um, that works. So when you were going through your, um, your side hustle, well, let's back up. So from the time that you left the company that initially offered you a job to the time you started your agency, what were you doing in between time? And I'm asking because a lot of people hearing this um, don't realize the work that has to go in for a person to reach the success that they're aiming for? Well, I mean, I was working the whole time behind the scenes. It's one of those things where you see like on social media, all the uh, the things that people actually achieve, but they don't see the process. Okay. So, you know, I didn't have necessarily money for like big uh, educational books in, in the field. So that company um, had like a database. So I was like, kind of bootlegging, bootlegging and, and downloading as much on my USB file as many books, you know, a few hundred page books and then reading in terms of kind of digital marketing and, and how it uh, kind of matured in those years. Um, you know, I got into it 2008, 2009, but 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, there was a lot of changes in terms of kind of the, the internet, you know, ecosystem in terms of digital marketing. So all these books were coming out, I was reading them. Anytime I had their 
I was also testing because I had a portfolio of clients. So I could have just sit, sit back and did what, you know, was assigned to do, or I could have been more in terms of trying different strategies, uh, trying things that, you know, I think I had a hypothesis may work, but it weren't necessarily uh, tried in that kind of vertical and just kind of always learning, going and networking, meeting as many people as I could, just cramming as much, I guess, knowledge and making as many relationships as possible because those relationships later on, you know, brought business and collaborated when those people went to other agencies, started their own companies and had clients and, you know, brought me in to do specific components because you, you know, personally, you don't have to own a project. Somebody can come to you and like, you know, how much do you want to do this? You give them a quote, they say fine. And then they just, you know, the client pays them and then they pay you or your agency. So there's different arrangements and things that can be set up. But obviously, that's a lot in terms of relationship building, networking, building your expertise, showing like what you can do and, and your body of work in terms of what you achieved. So, I mean, if you just sit back and you have no kind of facts or data to show in terms of your expertise, you know, you can't really demand anything. I mean, you demand what you're worth. So that knowledge and that expertise and that experience is what you're worth and what you can command. So at that point, you know, you may take jobs to get to that point in terms of undervaluing you. But when you get to that point, you can really uh, demand your true value. I love that because and I can relate to you on so many levels because I was a old school programmer. I worked in IT for 20 years programming. And I remember buying books and always studying and always keeping up my skills. And, you know, that's that's the key. What what would you say to people now? So, for instance, we're going through this pandemic that we're in. Right. So everybody's at home. Everybody's working. And I get more um, connection requests, let's say, on LinkedIn. And the person doesn't even know me. And I look at their problem like, okay, whatever. And as soon as I, you know, say, okay, connect, they send me a thing saying, hey, you know, you, you want my service? Hey, you want, and I'm thinking, dude, I don't even know you. And I had one person that like repeatedly kept saying, hey, did you get my email? And I'm like, don't you understand? You have to build a relationship before you're trying to sell me on whatever your service is. What, what do you say about people who do business like that? I, I mean, eventually you're going to fail or lose that job in terms of a salesperson or, you know, a, de- a demand generator and go somewhere else. I mean, I, I get those daily. And sometimes as soon as I get a pitch, I will delete them as a connection. I mean, I, I got an email yesterday, actually, where they couldn't even get my name right. So if you don't have that much attention to detail in terms of your first impression, I mean, I don't really need to hear whatever you're going to sell me because, you know, my name's Roman and the email was hi, Ron. So I responded <laughs> back. Actually, my name's not Ron. So thanks, but no thanks. Whatever, you know, you could be giving me a bar of gold. I don't really care because it's that principle. I mean, I don't want to work with you if that's, you can't even get my name right. So, I mean, what's that going to say in terms of attention to detail if, we do business. Exactly. And, <laughs> and it's funny you say that because I've had that several times, you know, they're like, Hey, um, I see like your profile, see what you're doing. Um, Hey, you, you know, you want this service? Hey, you want, and I'm going, no. And I don't even respond to them. And I probably should do like you do and just delete them. Um, but it's, it's funny because that's one of the things I always tell people relationships are key. 
and you saying how you built relationships, you went out, you networked, you always kept your skills up. There were things that you were doing to keep yourself to enhance and keep that professional and that personal development going. And you didn't have to have anyone to tell you to do that. That was what you felt that you needed to do to improve yourself. Now, what are you seeing out there nowadays when you and let's say people approach you or I, I don't know if you're doing any mentoring as far as professionally, what are you seeing and what are you telling people who are trying to establish themselves? Well, I mean, if you come to me genuinely and look for information or pointers, I'm more than happy. But when you come under false pretenses, kind of like a like a wolf in sheep's clothing and just trying to get close. And, and, and I hate that because you're going to use something personal to me to then trying to sell me or direct me in some other way. I mean, I'll shoot that down really quick, but I do a lot of kind of pro bono people reach out to me, uh, especially, I mean, I, I have experience from fortune 500 clients all the way to local brick and mortar businesses. So oftentimes people want to start online businesses or, you know, a restaurant, a cafe, a bakery, what have you in terms of ambition. And I jump on a, you know, a Zoom Skype call or give them a call. And then, you know, they just pick my brain in terms of ideas. And then, you know, if they have the budget and would like to work with my company, fine. But I literally give them the framework in terms of what they should be doing. So then they're not taken advantage of when they go to another agency, another consultant or professional that, you know, wants to, you know, help them succeed online or what have you. So they actually understand what they're getting. So I do a lot of that. I mean, I've worked with uh, charities as well to kind of audit their websites, help them out with events like strictly pro bono, because that's something I'm passionate about. And I think in my twenties, the focus was more, you know, get ahead, get ahead, you know, material things, money, money. And then you get to a point in your life, you either, you know, you get married, you have kids, you have some kind of event that puts life into perspective. And then that, that switch turned on in terms of leaving a legacy. So adding as much value as possible. When I do interviews, you know, on podcasts or in person, I try to give as much information as possible and help those around me. Um, because, I mean, you have the mentality where you can, you can rise and try to hold everybody, you know, down around you, or you can bring those people up because oftentimes there's plenty to go around. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm loving what you're saying because people have that scarcity, scarcity mindset. And it's funny because I had someone contact me today and we're friends and they said, Hey, you know, I want to pick your brain about starting a podcast. I said, okay, Hey, let's, let's talk tomorrow. And I'll tell you everything I know. But like you were saying, you, you said you get on calls with people. You don't mind telling people um, things that they need to know, whether they're going to do business with you or not. It's just, that's your way of giving back and you're not doing it for any gain. You're just doing it because that's what you want to do. You're, you have integrity. That's what I call it. Um, there's so many people out there who don't, they think that, okay, well, if you're not going to do business with me, I'm not going to talk to you. Um, it's funny because I had an instance where I had some person contact me on LinkedIn saying, oh, um, you know, if, do you want to be on my podcast? And my first flag was they were charging for it. But, you know, I was starting out and I was like, okay. But then after I did it, I said, well, my podcast is better than their podcast. But they did the whole, oh, I have Will and Jada Pickett-Smith listening and blah, 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 blah. So after I went through the the interview, which was total crap, 
I told him, I said, you know what? I said, you're total, you're crap. I said, this was crap. You know, this was a waste of my money, blah, blah, blah. Told him how I felt I was done with them, had nothing else to do with them. Um, And then months later down the road, I was checking LinkedIn and I was like, well, let me see if this person has an email address. And they saw that I checked their profile that once. And they called me and left a nasty message on my machine saying, oh, you've been trolling me. And I know you've been telling people how you how you don't like me. And I'm thinking, first of all, nobody knows you. Second of all, my friends don't care about you. And I haven't thought about you during that time. But it just made me see that how that person didn't have any integrity and how that's how they did business. And I guess it it bothered them because I'm thinking I hadn't thought about you since I told you how I felt. But isn't that interesting how people try to make themselves more than what they are? Like you said, the the wolf in sheep's clothing to put themselves somewhere, but then they can't deliver. And then they want to get mad at you. Like, Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, take the kind of fake it till you make it mentality. And, you know, I've had guests on my show a lot and I've seen a lot of guests on other shows go on. And I know that's not who they are. That's who they want to be or, you know, want want, want people to perceive them to be. But that's not who they are. I mean, it's, it's really not that hard if you're in 2020, almost everyone knows how to use the Internet and can do a Google search or more a more of a deep dive in terms of using a Google operator in terms of finding more op- uh, information. So no information is really hidden. So, I mean, you really play yourself out in that sense. And a lot of the times, like if you're going to piss the wrong person off, they're going to put you on blast. I mean, I've had people where I've seen like people, you know, treated them in the same manner and then they'll just throw up this whole, you know, expose about them. That's all true. I mean, you can't send them a takedown request if they're getting information from, you know, credible sources and they put it on a website that's a powerful website. So usually in terms of, you know, search or search engine optimization, if you have a really strong site, a lot of the stuff you put on there starts performing really well in search. So they throw that on there and then it goes to the first page (laughs) for their name and combinations of their name. And then they get kind of salty about it. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of, uh, karma comes around and you get what you get in personal life and, and business. I mean, Oftentimes, you're forced to work with, you know, people you may not agree with in terms of ethically when you start building your business in terms of business. You have clients that, you know, you know, they're the wrong clients or, you know, like you, they're, they're going to take advantage of you or trying to get as much as they can out of it and get more so in terms of, you know, the business you're doing with them. But when you get to a certain level and when you do reach that level, you have the luxury of working with people that align with, you know, what your core values are and what you're about and, you know, surround yourself with those kind of people professionally, personally, and and in business. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. It seems like you really are in that digital marketing space. And that's really, like you said, that's your passion. And so you've gone from, so with your agency, what exactly do you do? What, what, services do you offer and um, what's your clientele that you are gearing towards? Yep. So kind of strategies and tactics. So search engine optimization, content strategy, overall uh, tactical planning in terms of, uh, you know, uh, marketing campaigns online, uh, organic social, paid social, paid search, and other emerging things. So, you know, I've ran media buys now with uh, actually podcast networks on different bigger shows. So I just had a um, 
200,000 impression buy on uh, PRX, which is a top five uh, podcast network on the show uh, TED Talks Daily um, and basically building relationships in the podcast industry. And I think that's kind of the new way in terms of uh, building relationships, building backlinks in terms of SEO value, in terms of a natural way of doing it and creating referral traffic. And it's also a good way to piggyback audience that are already qualified. So if you go on a podcast that aligns with who you are and the people you want to reach, you're automatically reaching a community that is aligned to what you're trying to do. So basically tactics and fulfillment, some creative uh, website design and development, but I choose not to take those clients sometimes because there's a lot of work and uh, you know a lot of the times you end up losing money on those type of projects, but we do do that as well. But like I said, mainly the tactics and the strategy uh, side of it. Okay, great. Were you at Podcast Movement 19? I was. I was oh, in yeah, Orlando. I was there too. Yeah, I was there too. I was like, oh, I wonder if I ran into you. <laughs> I was there. It was, well, I mean, it was my first. I, I thought in terms of the value I got, it was the best hands-down conference I was at for the price out of any digital marketing conference, out of probably any conference I've been to. Okay. Yeah, I that was my first one ever going to, but I had already launched my podcast. So I, I was ahead on a lot of things, but then the other things I really learned a lot and I did a lot of networking. So um, that probably the networking was probably the biggest takeaway for me is I met some really great people and did a lot of networking. So that was good. Um, so let's get into, so we've talked about your 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 professional life. Let's get into your personal life. You are married and you said you have been a foster parent to 20 children and not at the same time, I know. I mean, I could probably do it at this point, having up to five at once, because I mean, it, it just gets to be like, you know, a regimented routine. I mean, a lot of these kids are coming from super unstructured situations. So, I mean, they're not even eating, you know, some days um, they're being neglected, not changed. So when you add some kind of structure and then structure with caring, not only like, you know, you're a disciplinarian or a drill sergeant, but when the kids know that they can expect that and it's safe, they'll have a meal at, you know, 9 a.m. in the morning, 1 p.m., 6 p.m., they become a little bit more comfortable and it's easier to kind of get through to them. So there's like a lot of caveats to that. Each kid you have to treat differently because like when we spoke offline, I don't have biological kids yet, but with with foster children, it's like they're bringing all their issues to you and you don't know what makes them tick or trigger them. And you have to figure out how to make it better and how to be there for them for each child differently because each child is coming from their own set of circumstances, oftentimes very traumatic situations. So what may you and your wife um do that because as we were talking offline, that is something that you definitely have to be selfless to do. Um, and like I said, I, I'm a single mother. I have two teenagers and believe me, some days I, it takes my best with them. <laughs> so what made you guys do that? And the fact that you've had, you know, at one time in it or another and a total of 20 children, what made you open up your heart in your home to be foster parents? Yeah. So before that, we've been, you know, trying uh, naturally, um, but uh, we've been doing infertility treatment. In the last three years, me and my wife have had five miscarriages. 
two of which were on back-to-back Christmases. So Christmas, you know, is supposed to be a fun time, but now triggers those memories, which, you know, you know, you can't really get rid of it because it happened. And we've spent an excess of about $100,000 out of pocket for things um, related to it. But we're still naturally trying and, you know, still doing the infertility. Hopefully we can do another uh, embryo transfer when this whole quarantine, you know, coronavirus stuff ends. But, um, yeah, we made the decision, you know, why not foster? And we're specifically designated as foster to adopt. So when the opportunity does arrive, if we're fostering a child that their parent or guardian loses parental rights, they're the first uh, division of child services contacts us first and sees if we're willing to, you know, it's a good fit and we're willing to adopt them. First, we wanted a baby. And basically what happened, we got licensed May 31st, 2018. June 1st, 2018, they dropped off two kids. So basically said, you know, these kids are coming from a different home. Um, The foster parents said they can't handle them. You know, you're kind of the last on the list. If we, you know, we're unable to place them with you, we're going to end up splitting them up. And it was, uh, you know, a 16-month-old and uh, another child short of uh, three years. So we talked for like literally two, three minutes because that's all you really have to make a decision. And we said, could we really split these two kids up? And because all they have is each other right now. And we said, no, no, let's, let's try it. And we had them for a year. We actually were told we were going to be able to adopt them, but they ended up being reunified with their biological mom. So that was kind of hard um, start to fostering because we're all set. You know, they, they basically said that, you know, they love us and we love them. And, you know, we, we did everything with them. We took them to Disney. We took them to every single like aquarium in the country, all these road trips, uh, you know, flew different places with them. And then, you know, we had no control over what happened. So it was heartbreaking. We took, um, you know, a few weeks off. We actually went to a family reunion in Hawaii for two weeks. My wife's side of the family is from Hawaii. And then we came back and eased into it doing short-term placements a lot of the time they're called respites. So you basically relieve other foster parents that are either going somewhere they can't take the foster children or they just need a break. So we got into that. And then last August, we took our, you know, our first uh, long-term placement after the, you know, the boys we had for a year. So we had them actually up until March 3rd, they were actually reunified uh, with their biological dad. And uh, now we have four boys, um, which is crazy. Um, and being quarantined or whatever, self distancing or whatever you want to call it and having to kind of homeschool or virtual school them now. And it's been raining for, you know, several days and all this. And it's just like, boys have a lot of energy to burn and they're just like, you know, a lot, but I mean, it is a blessing. I think I've learned something from each child in terms of patience and different things I can apply with my business and how I can communicate with with others in terms of kind of emotional empathy. Wow. So have you had all boys? Have you had any girls in there? No, we've had girls. Actually, the second longest placement, we had a girl. She actually just turned two, but obviously she's with her biological dad and she was like super attached to to me. And she was this like little thing because she was born premature on uh, on drugs so it's i don't know if it's thunder growth but she's this little little thing like super tiny for her 
for her uh, age. Um, and my wife basically dressed her up like a doll. So she looked like a little adult and she was a little, little thing. You could hardly even see if you didn't look down. So we did have girls. We had, we had four girls. So we had four girls and 16 boys. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And um, thank you for sharing your story with me. Um, I have, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason and there's a plan for your life. So whether it's you adopting one of your children or having a child naturally, I think whatever that is, is going to come at the appropriate time. So I, I really feel that you'll be blessed in some kind of way. Um, with that. But that's amazing. So how do you find the time? So you're a business owner, you're, you're doing all that you do. I don't know, you know, what your wife does, but how do you guys find that time? I think people can be like very surprised in terms of when they can make time for certain things they don't need. I mean, people take time to, you know, binge on Netflix or do this or do that. If you eliminate things and then focus on the things that you want to do or are in necessity to do, you you can find the time. You know, saying I don't have time is just an excuse. You know, there's some nights I go to bed three, four in the morning, but it, it is what it is. So if I want to do something like even, you know, with my podcast, if I want to get something done and I know I want to get it done by a certain, uh, you know, time or day or have a deadline, I could either say, oh, I'm tired, put it, you know put it away for another day because I need the rest or just do it. So, I mean, I think with like, even with the fostering or the business or learning and being self-taught in the field that I'm in, it's just one of those things you need to want to do it. I mean, there is like no excuse to do so. And I think, I mean, I'm I'm not going to, you know, fault people for like staying in the same career or something for ages because there's situations you have a family, you don't want to lose your job, you have a pension, but oftentimes you know, in my 20s up until now, I jumped around a lot and did a lot of things to try as many things, meet as many people and get to a point where I was like truly, you know, content and happy. Because I think if you like sell yourself short or stop at a point where you don't follow kind of to reach your goals, you become complacent. And that complacency is kind of the death of innovation and creativity. I agree totally. And um, I've never been one either to just want to stay in the one spot, which is funny because I've been in the military for 30 years. (laughs) And I never thought that going in, I never thought that I would go past four, but um, that's, that's a whole different world, but it it does. You have to really um, get out of that comfort zone and follow your heart and do the things that you want to do and do it scared because that's what it's about. No one knows how it's going to be. You can't, there's no guarantee that the business is going to work or you're going to get clients. You just have to do it and go out there. So um, yeah, that's, that's all to it. Um, Yeah. So what we didn't touch on is you, after you graduated from Rutgers, you said you did a little bit of the counterfeit currency. So were you into Bitcoin and things like that? Bitcoin wasn't even um, out, honestly. Um, Basically, I got an internship with the Secret Service. Um, mm-hmm. So Secret Service, people just think they do protection. So the president, dignitaries, but their dual role is also um, working for kind of, you know, the Federal Reserve right. and to 
basically track down and investigate, you know, different counterfeit currency schemes, rackets, that kind of thing. So it took me six months to get a top secret uh, federal clearance as a intern. Um, it was probably one of the toughest kind of processes I've had to undergo in terms of a clearance. Um, and basically, uh, as an intern, I would uh, get all the currency that came into that field office was the in Newark, New Jersey field office, which was actually located in Morristown. And basically file it, classify it, document it. Um, it people don't know, but there's like hundreds of little things that are different on each uh, denomination, like a line may not be connected under a microscope or like this image of something is like the other way. And then you have uh, metal fibers. If you really look close, uh, blue and red, they should be there. And then the watermark and then the, the little strip with the denomination on it. If you look under a black light, it should be a certain uh, color. So there's just like tons and tons of things like some people are really good counterfeiters so you kind of go down the list okay is this does this match does this match does this match and basically i processed that and um other things which is funny we screened the the mail for uh, bombs and sus suspicious materials so they had the interns doing that which is funny i never really found anything but we were kind of the pawns so it was like you know get the mail it was it was a time i think a lot of those anthrax things were going on like in the mail so which was a little bit sketchy but um yeah i did that for like a semester my last semester when i graduated um i got to go on it was still uh, george w bush's last kind of few months before the election of you know obama being elected i went on a protective duty for one of his daughters they had like a book tour we got to go to the range and kind of shoot all those guns so i was like a college student that was really fun. And I, you know, I thought I wanted to do that beforehand also, but then I saw that, you know, an agent has to move posts. So every few years you have to move from, you know, different places of the country. And at least one point in your career, you have to have that kind of Washington, that presidential or vice president detail. So, you know, I had to kind of think about if I really wanted to have a family, does it make sense to move my family around? Do I really want to do that? And, uh, you know, I didn't really want to, you know, take that route. But sp speaking of the military, I was also going to go to officer candidate school for the Marine Corps. So I was doing that OCS training and I was ready to ship out to Quantico. But I got an ulcer that I thought, you know, I didn't have an ulcer and it was like internally bleeding. So I couldn't do the pre-ship PFT. And I went to Europe and they found it. And they're like, you know, if we didn't find it in a few months, you could have died. But it was caused... There's ulcers caused by stress. This was called, caused by a bacteria called H. pylori. So if you go on a uh, antibiotic, you know, like booster, like I think it's like four drugs for two weeks, it heals it. But if you don't, it, you know, it, nothing will make it better. And this thing was eating away at me for, I would say, a few years, and I really didn't do anything about it or didn't think of it. And like I said, right, like running with like the lieutenant colonel of recruitment in um, uh, Manhattan, actually, on the West Side Highway, because the recruitment center for uh, officers and Marine Corps was on the USS Intrepid. And we're running on the West Side Highway, and then I stop and start spitting out blood. So I was just like, I can't. Like, and that ended up, if I probably went to OCS, I would have probably died. So that's kind of a connection to the military I have. Oh, man. You have a phenomenal background and story, and I can actually just continue 
talk to you and pick your brain. But I'm going to move into the questions. So are you ready for the questions? Yep, let's do it. Okay. Okay. Question number one, who or what motivates you? I think my family, my, my faith and the, you know, the people before me, my grandfather passed away last February and before he passed away, he told me he was proud of me in terms of what I achieved. The fact that I'm fostering, basically raising other kids for it, for, you know, parents that couldn't step up. And, uh, you know, I went through the grieving process and then I saw I need to keep doing my best to basically honor him because he would want me to try my best and, you know, do whatever I could as long as I was still here on, on earth. Okay. What demotivates you? I would say, I guess, negative people or negativity. I mean, I guess maybe that's a common answer, but with like current times, you put the news on and all this, you know, death and disease and other things. And, you know, the unemployment rate may reach like 30 something percent and all this crazy stuff. So um, I just get the current climate, I guess, but I mean, I, I listen to as much as I need to, and then everything else trying to focus on how I can better myself and take advantage of the situation because ultimately, you know, we still have TV, internet, food, you know, most of us, I mean, I'm sure there's unfortunate people out there, but you know, we still have a lot to be thankful for. Right. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? I would say um, there were there were times at some agencies I was at um, where I was clearly I, I clearly had more expertise than people I would report to. And sometimes when you're in that situation and you know more, you know, those people are insecure and it threatens them because they think they're going to take your job. So they try to sabotage you and stuff like that. But, um, you know, when people talk bad about you or you didn't do this, you didn't do that. I'm, I'm very kind of detail oriented. And then I, I, I think not bringing uh, emotions to an argument, I bring facts. So, you know, when they're like this, you know, he's bad, he's this. And I'm like, well, actually I increased the overall ranking of this client by, you know, 50% and they're doing, you know, the, the best business they've done in 10 years. So I'm pretty sure that doesn't necessarily align with the, the real narrative. So I think situations like that, I've, you know, I've overcame and I think handled it in a, you know, a professional manner. What is your fear? My fear, I think, is not doing as much as I could or uh, missing out on something where I could have done something and it being 10, 20, 30 years from now and knowing I could have done more about it to basically achieve um, where I wanted to get. I mean, I think people regret the things they didn't do and not the things they did, even though, you know, you may have a mistake or a failure as long as it's a learning experience. Okay. So that may fall right in line with this next question. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's, uh, there's a few years that I've, I've made it a point to go like super heavy on networking. So I met a lot of people where a lot where people have to pay at conferences and private events to meet, but I kind of hacked the system because I live, I mean, 45 minutes from Manhattan and there's a lot of influential people there. So they have different book launches and different company launches and like kind of snuck in, but not really. And trying to maximize the situation. I mean, I've met, you know, the co-founder of PayPal, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gerard Adams, 
uh, Lewis Howes and I mean a bunch of people and some of those situations where I was kind of like I don't know if I was starstruck but I didn't have my thoughts like in line to ask what you know how I could add value to them and what I actually wanted in a way from them not necessarily like selfishly wanted but maybe some advice that kind of thing so I regret like not taking advantage of those kind of real-time situations yeah I'm going to interrupt the questions but it's funny you say that because when I was at podcast movement I met Lewis Howes and you know I just walked past him. I was like hey I like your podcast and he was like hey come here what's your name Ch- you know chit chat and then, and I was like man I probably could have asked him more but I was just like okay whatever I just kept going so you don't think about that in that time you think about it afterwards because that's not what you're expecting and I guess if you're not a person who's just trying to get from people that's not the first thing that you think about okay is there a time that you wish you had not done something I mean I guess plenty of things I mean this has to be my personal life because my, my I guess my wife would attest to that because there's plenty of things where I feel I mean I could have listened better or have better communication and it could have uh, de-escalated situations or not led to arguments so I think listening and kind of valuing other people's opinions and seeing where they're coming from because a lot of the time we're like kind of running our own race and we have the blinders on and don't take the step to, you know, what actually people are dealing around was either the closest people. I think we end up hurting the most oftentimes. Mm. What is your definition of success? Being as happy as possible and having um, kind of it reflect on those around you and, and adding value to any situation that you come across and kind of being genuine about it as well. So like, you know, switching over to a legacy kind of standpoint that actually exponentially increased my uh, relationships and networking and business, whereas a focus simply on, you know, money and and moving up uh, before wasn't necessarily as effective. Okay. How do you recharge? So um, I guess mornings, I kind of sit down, we feed all the kids, and then we literally have 15 minutes, me and my wife sit down and have breakfast, a cup of coffee. Um, and then I take my dogs out. I sit down and read a little bit. And that's kind of my, my routine or taking a step back. Sometimes, you know, um, oftentimes maybe you get an email. It's very hostile or passive aggressive before writing that, you know, like that fire back uh, email, just taking the time, understanding you're having emotional empathy. Maybe they're dealing with something too outside of that email and sometimes just like just 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 taking time away, just getting down, doing a few push-ups or just like going for a run or just doing something to clear my mind and getting the energy up. And uh, I mean, I, I obviously fail. Everyone fails um, and aren't necessarily motivated 100% of the time, but kind of trying to avoid those um, kind of emotional driven blunders. Mm, good advice. What are you awesome at? I, I mean, at this point, I would say digital marketing. Um, and uh, I mean, I would like to think uh, kind of reading people a little bit. I mean, I mean, I'm not an expert, but after interviewing about 140 people in a year and just having a lot of relationships with clients and relationship building over the years and going through different situations, personal and professional, uh, I think. I read people a lot, a lot differently than I, and I did before and kind of 
understand where they're coming from. And usually my, my um, opinion to begin with, or, or my kind of conclusion aligns with, you know, their intent or their objective. What legacy do you want to leave? Just that I tried as much as I could to help as many people. I mean, like you said, I've, I've had 20 foster kids. That time could have been used to, you know, chase, you know, material things or just grow my business in a different way or real estate investments or other things. But I mean, I think everything in life um, has kind of its season and you're never given something that you can't handle. So, I mean, even you may think you can't handle, but it's just like, that back of your mind kind of psyche because it's something new and it's something that makes you uncomfortable and you know humans like routine and when you take a human out of routine they start kind of uh, you know panicking like a you know a closed animal in terms of not knowing what to do and getting all you know agitated mm. okay roman give the listeners one motivational takeaway I mean, I would just say utilize your time to the best of your abilities. I mean, I literally, I was thinking about this the other night. I graduated high school. I mean, when I'm in 35, so like literally this August, a whole lifetime has gone by since 18. So 18 to 36. And I don't even know where the time went. I mean, it's just one of those things where time is not going to wait for you or for your dreams or your goals or fixing relationships. I mean, as long as ha- as you have breath, if you wake up tomorrow, just get up and do something about it. Obviously, you don't have to make that dramatic change or that step. But I mean, as long as you do something positive to to move forward, those kind of little blocks can often in time turn into you know where you want to be. But if you don't take the time guaranteed in 20, 30 years, you're going to regret not taking action. So tell the listeners um, how they can connect with you and your services or anything like that. Yep. So uh, I'm pretty sure I'm on every social platform, honestly. So if you look for Roman Prokopchuk, I mean, there are a lot of actually surprisingly Roman Prokopchuks in Eastern Europe, but I'm the number one ranking, I think, in the world. (laughs) So I'll take that. I mean, it's not like John Smith, you're the number one, but I'll take it. Um, my company's Nova Zora Digital. So if you Google that, you can find my company site. If you have any digital marketing questions, just feel free to email on the website or direct message me on any platform. And then my podcast is called The Digital Savage Experience, where I interview different people in terms of their walk of life and see what makes them tick and things that they had to overcome to get to where they are today. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. And sounds like your podcast is a lot like this one. Um, with the interviewing people in their journey through life. So um, thanks for um, adding that one in. But I thank you, Roman, for taking time out of your very busy day (laughs) to uh, be here with me on Trina Talk. I I learned a lot and I'm very impressed with the person that you are and hopefully we'll stay connected. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, 
and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.